Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're continuing our series, Faith in Gear. We're, gosh, if you're new here today, we're in about a 13 weeks and we're only about three or four weeks in. So we're, we're here for a while, but open up James 1. That's at the end of your New Testament. The quickest way to find it, go to the end of your Bible, Revelation, and then just start backing up. And, and you'll go through a couple of small letters and you'll hit it pretty quickly. If you get to Hebrews, you went too far. But uh, James chapter 1. So I'm, I'm growing up in uh, Houston, Texas in the 70s. And uh, particularly the late 70s were some of the most exciting years to be a fan of the Houston Oilers. And, and I point that out because the Houston Oilers gave their fans very, very precious few exciting years. Uh, but you know, those years were, were them. And it wasn't just about winning or losing or success. They just had a team of, of really fun characters, starting with their head coach, Bum Phillips, uh, on down to not quite a household name, but a lot of fun in those years. Uh, their quarterback, Dan Pastorini and uh, Kenny Burrows and Mike Barber, and, and then maybe two of the most well-known players on the team. And two of my favorites uh, growing up was Billy White Shoes Johnson and Earl the Pearl Campbell. Uh, you know, these two guys, it was amazing. They were absolutely alike and they were totally different. They were absolutely alike in, in that they were both pretty quiet uh, soft-spoken, they really, at least what appeared to me, to kind of carry a very humble demeanor about them. Uh, and, and so, you know, they were very alike in that way. They were very alike in that, in my opinion, even to this day, they have given us some of the most exciting touchdowns ever to watch in, in NFL. Now, they're very different also. B Billy Whiteshoes scored his touchdowns by, you, you couldn't catch him. I mean, he's like a bug just scooting all over the field. He'd reverse back and forth and all this. Now, you could catch Earl. He'd meet you right where you want to. And, and then he's going to run right over you. So, you know, you couldn't catch Billy White Shoes. And, 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 and Earl the Pearl was just going to run over you. And they just, they just gave us a lot of exciting football. Matter of fact, what, what's funny about Billy White Shoes, because, again, if you, if you heard him, if you watched him, he's so soft-spoken, so what appeared to be humble. But here's a little fun fact. Uh, Billy White Shoes is, was the first one in NFL history to give us the end zone celebration. Uh, every time he scored, he did this little dance called the funky chicken. I would do it, but I threw my knee out in the last service. Um, but I'm telling you what, you, I, I didn't even care where they won. I just wanted to see him score so we do that dance. I mean, it, it was just hilarious. And so watching, growing up, watching Earl, watching Billy White Shoes is why I wanted to take, you know, take my run into the NFL as a career for my life also. And uh, I, I wasn't sharing something funny. I'm sharing a personal story here. I'm just laying the context. Um, I don't know why y'all think that's funny. So anyway, obviously, if I'm going to play in the NFL, I, I, I mean, I know I've, I've got to start at T.H. Rogers Junior High School. And so, so I go out and uh, first day of practice, of course, I'm in my, my gear and, and I go over to the, the first uh, place where we're going to practice something. And uh, there's these two tackling dummies. I know a lot of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. There's these two tackling dummies on the ground. And so the coach tells me, now you go over and you lay down on your back. And I've got the ball in my hand, okay? And I'm going to lay on my back and the, and the two tackling dummies are behind me. And on the other end of the tackling dummies is another guy. 
And he's laying on his back with his head also. And the coach, who I realize just gets pleasure out of watching kids kill each other, uh, what he's going to do is he's going to stand, he's going to blow the whistle, right? And what are we going to do? We're both going to pop up and, uh, and, and I'm going to charge through the dummies to, to get by him. And of course, his goal is to tackle me. And, and the first guy I go against, his, his name is Jack. And Jack and I are, are, well, we're pretty different. For one, Jack knows what he's doing. And uh, Jack is bigger than I am right now when he was in seventh grade. And, and he is our, he's our starting linebacker. He is the, the team captain. And so Jack is the first one that I, I go against. So the, the whistle blows and, and I jump up and, and charge into the dummies. And it really should have been filmed. I mean, if you think historically, you are, you are watching me take my very first steps into NFL Hall of Fame. I mean, it begins right here at T.H. Rogers. And so I, I, I head off into the dummies and then, you know, I don't actually remember what much happened. After that, I, the story was that Jack pretty much jacked me up. And uh, I, I just remember kind of in a daze, because I, I, oddly, I started in my back and I went very quickly back to my back. And, and I was looking up at the blue sky. It was a beautiful day in Houston that day. And I was looking up at the sky and a really a life-changing, very profound thought went through my head. Go out for cross-country. And, and, I, and I did, and it really worked. So it was, it was a very, very exciting moment for me right there. But, you know, folks, I mean, I mean, I really wanted to do this because somebody made this so exciting. And that's why we do a lot of things, isn't it? That's why we go somewhere. That's why we try something. Folks, it's why we come to Christ. We come to Christ because somebody has made that so attractive to us, so exciting for us. And man, yeah, I want that. Man, I want to experience, I want that kind of joy, that kind of peace. I want that kind of security, that kind of strength. I mean, I want, I want that. And so, man, we pick up the ball of faith and, and we charge onto the field. And man, we're going to be, we're going to be stars in this until we are jacked up. And guess what? We are, you are going to get jacked up by two all-pro linebackers that absolutely take all the fun out of this. That They take all of the fun out of being a Christian. They leave us laying there feeling guilty. They leave us laying there feeling stupid. I don't know if you've ever thought this, but you know, man, I must be the worst Christian in the world. I must be the only one who can't figure this out. I must, I must be the only one who, who can't make this work. Well, remember, we're coming now into James, and James, we've been using the car motif more than football, but you know, faith in gear, get it going, get it, get it moving. Well, if we could flip that over real quick to football, I mean, what is James saying to us? He's saying, hey, pick up the ball, get in the game, get in the fight, get your faith moving. And so with that encouragement, man, right here in the first chapter, he has to introduce us. He's got to make us aware that right away as you and I go charging onto the field with all the excitement of what we're going to be in Christ, <laughs> that we're going to get jacked up. And so he introduces us to these two all-pro linebackers, trials and temptations. Man, they are an absolute fact of life. They are a fact of, of, of walking in Christianity. You know, they, they are so much a fact for, for all of us. You'll notice if you, if you got your Bible open to James 1, it says there in verse 2, when you are tempted, not if, 
See, this is where trials and temptations are very much alike. Kind of like, kind of like Earl and Billy White Shoes. There was a way they were very much alike and there was a way they were very much different. Well, here's where trials and temptations are very much alike. When you face that trial. Verse 13, when he is tempted, not if. They're both coming. They're, they're both going to be there and they are both going to jack you up. But then they're also different. You know, you know, trials actually can be on your team. Trials can, I mean, the coach, God, can actually send trials into practice with you. You know, you think about somebody tackling you. Two people can tackle you. One's for you and one's against you. Now, the one who's for you is on your team, right? And so we go to practice and, and he tackles me. Man, I don't like that. I don't want that. But you know what? It makes him a better tackler. It helps me to learn and not get tackled. And, and so by this collision, by this trial on the field, we both get better. And that's exactly what James says, verse 4. He says, listen, you may not like getting hit. You may not want to get hit. But, but it is going to complete your faith. It's going to mature your faith. It's going to, to strengthen your faith. And so there is a tackler trials that can actually be for us. And, and, and since that's the case, what did we learn that James says? Verse 2, man, count it joy. Don't like it, don't understand it, but put it in the profit column. Count it as a joy. This can actually make you better at what you're trying to be, at what you're trying to do. Now, temptations, and that's where we're going to be dealing with today. That's where we're going today. Different jersey. <laughs> Very different. The tackling is the same, but, but his goal is not to make you better. His goal is just to lay you out. His goal is to sideline you, to get you out of the game. Let's see what that is about. Look with me here at James chapter 1, verse 13. This tackler is never sent into the game by our coach. God does not directly, he does not indirectly send temptations into our lives. Look at verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is, has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth, that's God's, of God's own will, He brought us forth by the word of the truth, we call it the gospel, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. I love verse 18 there. It's not the most naturally reading sentence you'll read. I, I, I don't think the meaning just flies off the, the page at us. But, but what verse 18, I, I'm, I know I'm kind of going to the end here, but what verse 18 is saying is, hey, listen, are you really, you're blaming this on God? Do you realize, hey, God's doing a work. God is writing a story. And you... You're the product of that. You're the, the first prophet from that work. You're the first fruit of that work where you become a child of God, eternally saved, being in heaven forever. That's what God is doing, that this God of lights, He's not hiding in the shadows. He's not luring you into dark. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm already at the end of the passage. I just think that's so awesome. 
Man, God's writing a story. You and me, we're the, we're the product, we're the, the prophet of that story. Now let, let's see what this is about. We go to verse 13, and it starts off there. Let no one say... Okay, don't, don't, don't start going down this road. Again, don't be deceived. See, what we do is, 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 folks, when we're dealing with temptation, when we're failing, when we're losing, when we pop up from that hit, we're, we're going to go in one of two directions. We're, we're either going to go toward uh, blaming we're going we're gonna to blame somebody or something for this loss, for this failure, or we're going to lay there and feel guilty and feel awful. You know, again, I'm, I'm, I must be the only one who can't make this Christian thing work. Okay? Now, while those are the two ways, James is not dealing with both of those ways. He only really seems to be dealing, I, I think you can read it it's pretty clear, he's only dealing with the one who's blaming. But let me say something real quick, because we fill the room, <laughs> we're in here. Let me say something about this way when we're over here thinking, man, I, I mean, I'm horrible at this. I mean, I just can't do this. I fail and I fail and I fail. And the problem with that is failure is pretty demotivating, isn't it? It's, it's, it's hard to lose all the time. It's hard to lose all the time and then suit up and, and get in the game. It's, it's just easy to quit. But, but folks, God is telling you and me, he's telling us through James, get in the game, man. Get in there and fight. But God, I'm just going to take it in the teeth. I'm just going to lose. And God motivates you and me so beautifully. Looks, lots of verses we could use for this. I want to use the first verse and the last verse of Romans chapter 8. Look at right here. There is therefore now no condemnation. There is none. For a failure in your past... For a failure you're working on right now, for a failure that is in your future, you don't even know you're going to mess that up. There is no condemnation for those failures. There is no condemnation coming from your loving Father for, for that, the, the, those failures. There is no con. Is that incredible? Who would offer something? I wouldn't. I wouldn't offer somebody. I don't even know that I'd offer somebody I'd love that kind of idea. There is no condemnation that is going to come into your life for those who are... Now, this is really operative. There's a huge condition here. For those who are in... Well, it's a small word, but it's a powerful word. For those who are in Christ. You see, you have to be in Christ for this incredible promise, for this incredible status to be true in your life. You know, I don't know how we see that. And I just... I mean, I've got to stop right here. We've got to ask, don't we? Not, it's not what we're talking about today it's not the direction i'm going to but we got to stop and ask am i in christ man i trust that a whole lot of us in here can say yeah man absolutely i i am i know how that happened i know when that happened i don't always do a good job with it but i am confident that i'm in christ but i'm also sure there are people in here who are not sure as you sit here and say, man, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure I'm in Christ. Or maybe you're in here and say, man, I'm, I'm quite confident that I'm not in Christ. I, I know for sure that I'm not in Christ. You know what, if that's you, I want to encourage you to do this. I want you to right now start praying about, God, would you have me to be in you? Could that happen in my life today? As a matter of fact, maybe you need to tune me out for the rest of the message and just start, just start doing business with God about this. Because what I want to do is at the end of the service, I want to offer you an opportunity to move your life into Christ and to experience this kind of promise, this kind of offer and what it can mean for you and me. Because folks, in Christ, you and I live in a place, imagine this, nothing, 
No one, no thing, no failure of yours will ever, ever be able to separate you from the love of God. That is, well, there it is again, isn't it? That is in Christ. What an offer. Nothing will ever separate me from the love of God. But that love is found in Christ. I have to have life in Christ for that to be true. Folks, do you see how God's trying to motivate you and me? He knows we are deserving of condemnation. He knows I've done things this week that could be condemned. That I'll do things this coming week that could be condemned. And he's motivating you and me to not do those things. To not give in to those things. But look at what the motivation comes from. It comes from his love. He's not motivating you and I to get in the game and fight so we can get his love. He's motivating us to act on the fact that we are loved. Do you realize how different that is? I'm not fighting for his love. I'm fighting because I am loved. Is that awesome? Can we, I, I know I'm just doing this, but can we praise the Lord for that? Can we say amen? Thank you, God. Thank you for a life. Thank you for an opportunity like that. That is so incredible. But it's not what James is dealing with. Okay, man, we, we're all going to deal with it. We're all going to go there, but that doesn't seem to be James' focus. I, I don't know why James doesn't deal with that side of it. I don't know if he's dealing with an issue you know, as he writes this group of people, if he's heard something, they're discussing this. He, maybe he just knows that this kind of virus is running through the system right now. So he doesn't really deal with those of us at times that can get kind of overwhelmed and filled with guilt. No, what he's dealing with is this other path that we go where we start blaming. And we do that too when we lose. We do that too when we fail. We pop up and start saying, this isn't on me. No, I'm, I'm putting this off on, 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 on somebody else. It's very much human nature. It's very much what we do. And so we pop up and say, well, this isn't me, the, the devil, right? He made me do this. That's not my fault. The devil made me do this. Or, or they made me do this. Or, you know what? I, I, I did something wrong. Shouldn't have done it. My bad. But I would have never done that if they had not said this. If they had not done this. So that's one route we'll go. We'll start blaming the devil. We'll start blaming certain people. But apparently what James is aware of in this group is it's much worse than that. They're actually blaming God. Hey, but, you know, this isn't on me. Hey, you know what? I, pr I prayed for strength. I said, God, would you give me strength in, in, in the face of this temptation? Make me strong enough to resist this. And he didn't give me that strength. That's not me. That's on him. He, he was negligent. I said, hey, God, would you keep this temptation from me? And there it was again. You know, I prayed last night, God, keep this temptation. And I woke up, there, there it was this morning, first thing. So, you know, this is on God. He's, he's not answering prayers. He's not helping me out. This is on Him. And here again, I'm running to the end. I almost just see James going, you're, you're kidding me. You can't possibly think that. I mean, you, you realize there is no one... There's nothing in the entire universe that is more for you, that is more for your well-being than God. God's not over here in the dark trying to lure you into disaster. He's not over here and, you know, seeing if he can get you into death. Well, you think God's out there dangling something? Hey, man, I'm watching you. I'm, I, you fail and I will be on you like white on rice. And yet, that's exactly what this person, this is what this issue is that he's addressing. We act like, hey, this is God. Folks, God's writing a story. God's doing a work. Getting you to fall 
getting you to fail, getting to condemn you doesn't advance the story. That, 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 that doesn't complete the work. That's not God's character. It's not what God is doing. And so that's why James twice may say, hey, listen, listen, don't, don't deceive yourself. You know, don't, don't, don't say these things. This is on you. Folks, you want to look at the problem. It's, it's ugly. It's not pretty. It's hard to say this. This is why we don't go to church because, you know, we stand there and point at you. But here, here's the problem. It's, it's the mirror. Go look at it. You don't even have to have a nice mirror. You will see the problem. <laughs> the problem's you. The problem is, is me. We, we do this. And, and here's how it starts. And what you find in James here is almost the anatomy. The, 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 the DNA. How, how does this thing come together? How is it born? How does it happen? And, and folks, what happens? And you notice it starts when I don't pick an age. 18 months old? Two years old. I mean, two years old, we learned to dance right up here on the line that mom and dad just drew. Is this the line? Well, look at me. I can dance right here on the line. Woohoo! And, and I might get really good and say, hey, I can put a toe over the line. Woohoo! Look at me. And we do this. And then, and then we, we get a few more years on us and we get into high school or our teenage years. And what's the big question? How far is too far? Just how far can I go and it still be okay? See, we're still, what are we doing? We're flirting with the line. What's the line I can go up to? You know, folks, go back to Romans 8, this God who would love us so much. Why is it that you and I want to figure how close to the line we can get and be okay and be innocent? When the line we're talking about is, is a line that is just puts us razor thin away from mocking and offending the love that God has shown for us. Shouldn't we not be asking how far can I get away from the line? But, but we go up here and we dance on the line and so I'm going to get a, a, a little, because I never do anything big. It's just, it's just a little sex. A little drink, a, a little puff, a little lie, a little greed, a little gossip. Maybe not so little. Gossip really is wonderful. Really a juicy morsel. You know, it's a little this and it's a little that and we play this little game in our minds. It's, it's not even really sin. Okay, let's go with that for a moment. I'm not saying it's not sin. I'm just saying let's go with that thought for a moment. Let's say what you're doing up here dancing on the line. Woohoo! It's not sin. But as you and I dance on that line, you know what's happening? We're building a desire in our lives. Because as I dance around that temptation, as I dance around that sin, it, 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 it becomes pretty, it becomes beautiful, and I, I begin to see the advantages. Hey folks, sin works. Sin will satisfy, it'll scratch some itches, it'll get you out of trouble, it'll make some things happen. Sin will absolutely move your life forward. What the devil doesn't tell us <laughs> is it only works for a moment and there is an awful price tag on it that we can't pay. But see, that's not what I'm thinking about when I'm up there dancing around it, is it? No, it, it becomes more and more attractive and a desire is birthed in me and that desire makes me baitable. I can now be baited into this. You know, if you're on your way to go fishing and you see a fisherman there on the side of the stream or out on the lake, I mean, you're like, hey, how's the fishing? 
Oh man, it's great. I'm slaying them. I'm on a honey hole. Now, they, if they are on a honey hole, they're not going to tell you. Oh, I haven't seen a fish all day. You know, you keep moving along. But if they say the fishing is great, what's the next question? What are they hitting? What are they biting? Man, you go to the lake, you're, you're a good fisherman. You don't even have to be a good fisherman. You're any kind of fisherman. You're going to carry some lures with you. You're, you, don't, you don't have to be good. You know, I got, I'm going to take three or four things with me. Now, if you're really good, you got this whole big giant thing called a tackle box, and you might have dozens of lures to go after the exact same fish. What's drawing them out? What's luring them? What's hitting them today? Folks, do you understand Satan always, 100% of the time, he knows what you're biting today. He knows what you're hitting today. Now, Satan's not like God. Satan's not all-knowing. But he's smarter than you. And he's stronger than you. And he knows what you're biting on today. And he will make sure that you have plenty and often opportunity to see that lure. Now, you might jump up and say there, well, now, wait a minute. You just said a moment ago this wasn't Satan's fault. That this was, this was mine, but there you are. He, he's trapping me. Don't you love that word, a trap, as if somehow that makes us innocent? I mean, that's speed trap, right? How fast were you going? I, 63 and a 35, but it was a speed trap. You know, I'm pretty sure trap or not, that's probably still illegal to go 63 through a 35. It was still your foot on the boat. But if we say it was a trap, all of a sudden, not me. See, we make it about the bait. We make it about the bait. And Satan's out there presenting that bait Every single day in your life. That's, that's, not, that's the bait. But see folks, on this side of the bait is something that Satan had nothing to do with. And that's you and me standing there building a desire in our lives as we dance around on the line. Not sin, but I'm building this desire in my life. And that desire makes the bait attractive. Did you know it's not a sin to be tempted? You haven't sinned because you've been tempted. You haven't sinned because a, a tempting thought goes through your mind. We're not always in control of that. We don't always have that. Matter of fact, that might be very encouraging you to hear. Sometimes we feel like a failure because, man, I've, I've, I think I've beat this temptation in my life. I've beat this thought in my life. And, and then all of a sudden, the next day or maybe nine months from now, there it is. All of a sudden, there's that, that temptation, that thought. Oh, gosh, I thought I had defeated this. I thought, Folks, you haven't lost because you have a tempting thought. All it means is Satan's taken another hit. Satan's coming again. He's going to present the bait. On one side of the bait is the desire, but on the other side of the bait is me thinking on that desire, giving life to that desire, trying to bring to flesh that, that bait, and then the action of the sin. So here's the bait in the middle that's being presented, but on one side of it is my desire, on the other side of it is my action. The sin is mine. It's not Satan's. The sin's mine, I own that. And James says, and with the, with the product comes the price tag. And it's always death. Now that's a little tricky there, saying that it's, it's death. Because, I mean, we've all given in to temptation, right? You don't have to nod, you have. Lots of times, more times than we can count. We've all given in to temptation, and I'm guessing we can all confidently say we didn't drop dead because we're sitting here, right? Am I going too fast? Yeah, we're, we're not dead, right? I mean, I mean, he, he just said here, hey, if you sin, it's going to result in death. Well, I, I've, I've been tempted. I've given in to that temptation. I have sinned and I'm, I'm still standing here. So it must not be a physical death. Well, maybe it's a, a spiritual. We talk about that in the Bible a lot, right? There's a physical death 
There's a spiritual death. That spiritual death separates me from God. But you know what? I don't think James can be talking about that either. Because see, if I'm in Christ and he he says, hey brothers, that's a family term. We're believers. He's, He's addressing believers or at least people who are professing to be believers. This is family. So if I'm in Christ, then I'm in his death. I'm under the death of Christ. So my sin has already been paid for by the death of Christ. That's the cost of sin. So it can't be that if I sin, I now move into spiritual separation from God because I'm already under a death that has covered that. So what's he talking about here? Well, it helps to have a little bit of a Jewish mind to understand the thinking here. And that Jewish mind, I think, is presented in a verse that maybe a lot of us have heard before, are familiar with. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it what? Abundantly. Yeah, you do know that one. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Now, when Jesus said, I've come for you to have life, do you think he means I've entered this world so that you could have brainwaves and a heartbeat? No, we, we know that's not a bio, I, I came here for a biological purpose. No, that, that's, not, that's not what he's talking about. Now, he very much could be talking about the spiritual side of this to bring us into right relationship with God so we can, we can live forever. But the key is in that word. This is the Jewish mind. The key is in that word abundantly. I've come that you might have life. Life, life. That's, that's joy, that's excitement, that's purpose. Even in difficult times. That strength, that's hope, that security. This is the life that I've come to bring you. And, and for the Jewish mind, that's what life was. And the opposite of meaning, the opposite of purposeful, the opposite of strength, the opposite of joy, that would be death. John 10.10 10 says the enemy, you know, the one's got all the lures and is baiting you and me, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes bringing death. Death is the opposite of life. It's the opposite of of having meaning. It's the opposite of having purpose. It's just existing. And there's no hope and there's there's no security. That's what this results in. You know know what's being pictured here? I almost hate to say this. It's really the picture of a zombie. I I hate saying that because zombies are kind of cool right now. They're in, aren't they? All kinds of new TV shows about zombies. That's not supposed to be something attractive, but they're, they're in right now. But that's what's being described here is, is when I'm giving in to sin, when I'm falling into sin, I'm alive in God. Okay, that's the zombie. I, I mean, there's, move, there's movement, there's life. But I am dead to everything it means to being alive in God. I'm dead to the joy. I'm dead to the guidance. I'm, I'm dead to the strength. I'm, I'm dead to the meaning and the hope. I'm alive in Christ, but I'm dead to everything that He came to give me in that life. That's the price tag of sin. That's what it does. Now, when you understand that picture, that's where James gets to verse 17 and 18 and says, this doesn't even make sense. You think God is doing this to you? He sends his son at the cost of his son's life to give you life, to bring you to the light, not darkness, not deceit, not death. But then you now think that God is the one that is being negligent? That God is the one that is failing, or even worse, God is the one that is trying to trap you, you know, so that he can bring you to death, so he can bring you to... That doesn't even make sense. It's not God's character. It's not God's work. It's not what God is doing in our lives. There's no possible way to blame that on him. Now, I'll tell you what I've always found interesting, and even more as I studied it this week, as I walk through James 1, and, and one of the more in-depth passages 
on, on looking at, at and understanding temptation. First Corinthians 10 is another one that, that gives you a lot. But, I mean, this is one of the most in-depth. And you notice when you get done reading it, you don't know how to deal with temptation. Well, where's the answer, James? Come on, man. I, where, where's the answer? So let, let me give you the answer. Let me give you three ways to handle temptation. And the first way really comes from this passage. It comes from what he's teaching. The first way to deal with temptation, folks, is to start with the right thought. Okay? I, I, I've got to start push. I've got to stop pushing this out on others, saying this is somebody else's fault, saying this is God's fault. I've got to stop misunderstanding why I'm in this position. And so I I use Galatians 6, 9 here. Paul, notice he uses very, very similar language to what we just read in James. He says, listen, don't be deceived. Stop lying yourself. Stop telling yourself it's just one more time. Stop stop telling yourself it's this once. Stop telling yourself that that this is small, that this is insignificant. Stop telling yourself that nobody gets hurt. Man, for the love of God, you're mocking Him. You're mocking His love. You're mocking what He's trying to give you. You're mocking what He's done in your life. Bottom line, you want truth? Here it is. You plan it, it'll grow. You plan it, you keep yourself around it, and it's going to grow in your life. And if it grows, it'll bring its fruit every single time. Stop playing this game of how close you can get. That's not what we're called to do. Second thing, and this is kind of the opposite of the first thing. If I'm cleaning out the bad thought, if I'm cleaning out the wrong thought, well then I need to fill the void in my brain and I need to build the right thought. Psalm 119 verse 11. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need to have God's word. There's no fight without the book. There's no fight without the book. Okay? Now... I, I don't want to sound like it's as, as mechanical as go home and read your Bible and you won't have temptation anymore. Well, first of all, we've already addressed that. You and I never arrive at a place in our life where temptations and trials are behind us. Whew, glad I passed that class. Man, glad I'm through that stage. Now all that's my No, we're going to have trials. We're going to have temptations right all up into glory. Straight up before we get to heaven. Okay, so those are, those are going to be... So you're not going to go home and read the Bible and then all of a sudden temptation's gone. And, and you read a passage today, so now mystically you have a power you didn't, you didn't have before. But what happens, folks, is again, what's the problem here? The problem is we deceive ourselves. So if I'm not in God's book, then what happens is the bait gets prettier and prettier. It gets more and more profitable. It looks better and better. And I don't have anything reminding me, hey, wait a minute, there's a price tag Hey, wait a minute, that actually won't lead me to where I want to be and and, and to where I want to go. I mean, folks, there's a reason we get lured. It's drawing us. It's telling us it works. And and we've got evidence that says it works. And I need something to say, wait a minute. No, 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 that's a lot more like deceit. That's a lot more like darkness. That's going to lead to death. And I need to keep in front of me. I mean, we come in here and we know it, but we don't know it. I've got to keep in front of me just how good God and His ways are. How right and beautiful God and His ways are. You ever gone to church? The answer is yes. You're sitting here right now, right? You ever gone to church, gone to life group, gone somewhere? I've, I've, I've heard this story before. Praise God you've heard that story before. You know exactly, oh, oh I've read that passage. Oh, I've heard that before. Folks, pray for the day that you've heard it hundreds of times. Our memory, when it comes to sin, is incredibly short. When it comes to temptation, we have to keep it in front of us. Or else we just get stupid. 
Is that okay to say? I'm sorry. If you tell your kid not to say you're stupid and he's sitting you right now, I don't, I don't know how you'll explain it when you get in the car, but <laughs> praying for you. Okay, so... God, there's no fight without the book. Last thing, last word, third thing, run. Folks, it just, no mystical potion, no magical formula. It's just as simple as that. Flee, flee, that's a word for run. Let's try that again. Flee is a word for run, thank you, from sexual immorality. And you can pull the word sexual immorality out and put any sin you want to in there. Do you know that you and I tend to do just the opposite of what this says? When we're trying to defeat it, we do just the opposite. I think somewhere we've got it in our mind that our challenge, our job, is to get right up in the presence of sin and show how strong we are at resisting it. God, what do we say? Give me strength at resisting this sin. Give me strength at fighting this sin. I got news for you. God doesn't want to know how strong you are. He wants to know how fast you are. Get out. That's my way of handling it. Turn and run. Now what happens is you and I feel out of control. Man, I don't want to do this and I keep falling into it. But there was a moment we were in control. So here's our challenge. Back up five minutes. When you reach that point where you're out of control and you have to gossip, you have to give in, you have to back up five minutes, back up ten minutes, back up to where you were in control and look around. What are the people, the person, what's the situation? What are the things where I get out of control? And learn to identify that in your life and then when you're walking along and you see those things starting to appear, you see the clouds coming together, turn and run! The challenge is not to stay there and be strong. The challenge is to turn and run. And that's where we fail, folks. We just don't do it. Oh, we're, we're sorry we did it, but we keep everything that's making us fail right in our lives. I mean, here, here, here's what we do. We stock our freezer with a little bit of, what's this, mocha java jealousy. Always got to have some of that stuff. It's delicious. And uh, then there is... Uh, Rocky Road Revenge. Very, very beneficial when some people come over. Rocky Road Revenge. And then let's always have on hand just a little bit of vanilla lies here. I mean, that's just a, that's a standard, a little vanilla lies. And so we keep our freezer stocked. And then you know what we do? We stand here in front of the freezer door and say, God, please help me. Help me not give in to temptation, Lord. Oh, Lord, please give me strength. Lord, please, please. Please, Lord, help me to... You know, did it ever dawn on us, hey, maybe if I don't keep it in my house, I'll be a little bit better at handling this. You know, folks, most every temptation you consistently struggle with, by your choice, you've left it present in your life. And then talked about how you can't defeat it. Here's what I know about me. I'm guessing the same would be true of you, but this is what I know about me. I have strong moments and I have weak moments. Okay? Now, the challenge is not, okay, I'm in a strong moment. Now, how many strong days in a row can I have? That's not the challenge. The challenge is when I'm in a strong moment, how many Right decisions can I make to remove and get this out of my life? Why? Because, folks, the weak moment is coming. Always. Always. 
Don't ever think you've prayed something. Don't ever think you've done something that means the weak moment is gone. It's out of your life. You'll never deal with it again. Yes, you will every single time. The weak moment is coming. So my challenge is not... How many strong days? The challenge is, what do I do in those strong days? Do I cut off the subscription? Do I remove myself from that relationship? Do I go and get a friend and say, man, I am just sucking wind when it comes to this issue. Could you help me? Could you? See, I'm not going to ask a friend to help me when I'm in a weak moment. I'm not Because I'm in the weak moment. I want that in the weak moment. In the strong moment, you do as many right things as you can for when the weak moment comes. You know, folks, I, I, I introduced these guys over here as, as all pro linebackers, but the, the problem in our life is that we've made them more than all pro linebackers. We've made them undefeatable monsters. I can't beat it. I can't defeat it. I can't... I mean, I want to, but I can't. And folks, the problem is not that they're undefeatable. The problem is we're not doing anything. I say, we're not doing anything. We do something. I do something. I moan and groan about how bad I am. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. God, I can't believe I did it. Father, I, I don't know how you love me. I don't know how you forget. I, I, Lord, I, folks, this is a prayer I've prayed. I don't even know why I would say I'm sorry. I know it's empty. I know it's meaningless. I'm committed to saying I'm sorry, but I'm not committed to, to changing anything about what I'm sorry about. And I think we've got it in our mind that if we'll just go over in the corner and just, and just beat ourselves up bad enough that at some point we've done what it takes to conquer sin. But I'm looking through my Bible and I don't find a single page that says go sit in the corner until you feel really, really bad about yourself. And then when you do, you've won. Come on out and we'll start over. Folks, the goal is not to go over in the corner and feel bad about yourself. The goal is to make decisions. That give you the strength and the opportunity and the ability and the readiness to run. Can I say it one more time? God's not wanting to see how strong you are in your sin. He's wanting to see how fast. Why would I do that? Why would I finally deal with this? Because God is the only one in my life. There's no other person. There's no other thing. That has said, Randy, as I send you into the fight, I just want you to know something. You can't lose. There's no failure. There's no way you're going to fail that is going to make me reject you. That's going to separate you from my love. We're not fighting for his love. We're fighting because we're loved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, we, we confess to you, you, you've given a command in Scripture that we not deceive ourselves. And so, Father, we just take a moment to say we're sorry because we have, we have played these games, we have lied to ourselves, and we've put the blame off on other things and we've ignored what your word has said over and over and over and over and over. Lord, I pray for each one of us in here in this week ahead that we'll, we'll read this passage again today. We'll think about what it's saying. We'll think about where are the desires in my life? What are the desires I've built in my life that have set me up to be baitable?
And God, when we're in a strong moment, just convict us and give us wisdom and show us the direction to go and may we act on it. And Lord, we need your help. And, I, and I'm so grateful that as I say, help me God, that you are, Scripture says, you are so patient. You're long-suffering. You put up with it and you put up with it and you put up with it. God, help us to see there is something very, very wrong with our relationship, very, very wrong with our faith if we see your long-suffering as a way to get away with something. I pray your love would motivate me not toward the line, but far away from the line. We need your help. And I thank you for all you are and all you've given in Jesus Christ. I thank you that you're writing a story. And my salvation is the great fruit for you. You're awesome, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.